Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. On this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. Today's episode will be a bit different. I'm going to be talking about three television shows that I really loved in 2017. And all of these television shows deal with violence against women, uh, toxic masculinity, patriarchy, um, and sexual violence. So I will put that out there right now as a trigger warning to those of you who may not want to listen to that. I want to dig into those subjects and I want to dig into these shows. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, I am a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I'm someone who is very sensitive. I love literature, art, poetry. I crave knowledge about the world and about other people. And I love stories, whether it's through books or films. Um, I created this podcast because I live in a rural area where there is not a cinephile culture. There is not an art house theater where I live. Um, I needed an outlet to talk about these films that I watch and why they matter to me and why they're so important. That was really um, the the catalyst for creating the podcast. If you knew the podcast and you don't know what the title refers to, it just comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago. I said at the time, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. I was watching a lot of movies, I was obsessed, and it just sort of was something that I organically wrote. And I thought that it was the perfect way to describe my relationship to cinema and how I'm always thinking about it, how it's really embedded into my life at this point. This podcast does have a Patreon where you can help to financially support it. I would be very appreciative if you would like to be a patron. I have lots of rewards and extras for you, like bonus episodes. Um, At one level, you can get a shout out in each episode and I want to do my shout outs you can find my patreon at patreon.com slash herhead and films so I'd like to give a shout out to Polina Lindsay Olivia Carolyn feminist overlord Michelle and Jesse thank you all so much for being patrons I really do appreciate it I appreciate all of you who listen if being a patron is not something that you want to do or that you um, that it's just not a a feasible thing you can do a few free things like you can review the podcast on iTunes that sort of helps it get better placement in the directory on there you can review it on Stitcher too if if that's where you listen to it you can share episodes on social media Um, you can interact with me on social media I do enjoy interacting with listeners and never underestimate how far a good or nice word can go You know, I I create these episodes. I don't always know if they have any impact or how they affect people. If If you would like to tell me or send a message if you were particularly moved by an episode, I would really appreciate that. You know, just the small things like that can make a real difference. But I think all of you who listen, all of you who support the podcast, um... It's been it's been a wild ride. Like I never thought it would last um, as long as it has. I recently did an episode about the one year anniversary of the podcast and what a major accomplishment that is for me. 
Um, it's the end of 2017 and I know a lot of people are doing their favorites and um, by the time I share this episode with you I think it will be oh no it'll be the last day of December so December 31st um, a lot of people are giving out their lists you know their favorites of 2017 their favorite books their favorite films their favorite this and favorite that I wanted to do something different because I know maybe you would expect me to do an episode about my favorite films. Well, that feels very redundant to me because I've done over 40 episodes and most of them were done this year. I have talked on those episodes about all the films I've watched in 2017. If you'd like to go back and, and listen to different episodes, you certainly can. So I didn't see much point in doing an episode when I've already devoted countless hours to my favorite films of 2017. You can go back and listen to them. I watched Satyajit Ray's The Apu Trilogy, which I talk about. I watched Abbas Kiristami's Coker Trilogy. I have an episode about that. I watched Elam Klimov's Come and See, a very important Soviet uh, film about the Second World War. I did an episode about Barbara Loden's Wanda. This year was not the first time I saw that film, but, um, you know, I'm proud of that episode. I did an episode about um, Cattell Coulevere's Heal the Living, which is a really great French film that came out either this year or last year. I did an episode about Barry Jenkins' film Moonlight, which won the Academy Award for Best Film. So I have already talked to you about my favorite films that I watched in 2017. Um, the fact that I chose to do an episode about those films means that they were my favorites because I'm not going to devote an hour or more to these films and to talking about them if I don't love them if they're not my favorites. So I already have a running record of, of what I loved cinematically in 2017. I thought it would be more interesting to talk about some television shows and to go into some of the themes in these in these um, television shows so I think that's more interesting and I haven't talked about television on the podcast it's not something that I'm gonna do on a regular basis by any means because I watch a lot more films than I do television um, but I did watch some really great shows this year and I wanted to talk about them and I think they they explore important subject matter that's really important. I just <laughs> I just repeated myself. I'm, I apologize for that. Um, I think these shows have a lot to say about sexual violence, about violence against women, about patriarchy, about masculinity, about a lot of things that we need to, to talk more about and that we need to that just need to be in our collective consciousness and in our public discussions right now. And so I just thought that would be something more interesting to devote an episode to and I thought it would be kind of unexpected. I have been wanting to talk about some television on the podcast, but um, I tend to connect more to films and I tend to watch more films than I do TV. But I think nowadays, television, um, I think the the boundaries in many ways are becoming blurred, you know. Um, 
And I think there are some things that are on TV or on Netflix that are just as good, if not better, than a lot of the films being released. So um, it's not that I think of television as a lesser form. Um, I certainly don't think that way. And I think television can do things that films cannot in that episodic structure and in that format. You know, you can go much deeper into some of these stories. Um, I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I connect as much to some, some TV. Um, films just sort of hit me in a different place, I think. And cinema has just taken on this very particular role in my life, a very central role. But I've talked, I've rambled enough. Um, the three TV shows that I'm going to talk about are The Keepers, which was a show on Netflix, Big Little Lies, a show on HBO, and Broadchurch, um, the last season of Broadchurch. All of these films share themes of violence against women, patriarchy, and um, sexual violence especially. So let's get started. Um, let's dig into these shows. And I had several favorite shows of 2017, but I grouped these three together because of their shared themes. And um, I really didn't realize it till the end of the year that I had really watched a lot of things that are about uh, violence against women. And um, I think that um, this is an important topic, especially in light of what has happened in 2017, which is that we are having this tremendous discussion about sexual harassment and sexual assault against women, primarily activated by allegations against Harvey Weinstein and the women that came forward, including Ashley Judd, including Lapita Nyong'o, including um, all kinds of women. Um, Salma Hayek um, was the most recent uh, person to speak out about Harvey Weinstein. And we have seen this um, shift in how we talk about sexual violence. And a lot of men have lost positions of power, whether it's Harvey Weinstein being forced out of his company, whether it's Kevin Spacey being fired from House of Cards, whether it is Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose losing their shows and um, losing some of their power. So each day brings different men stepping down from their positions, losing their jobs. Um, so as a lot of people have called, they've called it this reckoning, right? Um, what's interesting is that these shows predate that discussion. Um, they were made before anybody was talking about sexual harassment or sexual violence against women in this way, in this, um, with such a heavy focus on it and with such a outrage about it and an outcry, you know, um, and of course, Time Magazine recently, uh, spotlighted the Me Too Twitter campaign that happened. Um, where women talked about their own experiences and men talked about their experiences of sexual violence, sexual harassment. 
And, I mean, they didn't exclusively focus on Me Too. They really talked about it being the silence breakers and people who had come out and um, who had been breaking the silence, right, and talking about sexual harassment. So these shows happen to fit into a very big and important public discussion that's happening. And of course, I still worry, will we have that systemic institutional change? I'm a broken record with it, but I want to see material change. I want to see the situation for women, especially in films, because this is primarily about the film industry. But of course, we need to be broadening this conversation to housekeepers and waitresses and factory workers and all kinds of positions that women um, inhabit in their lives. But the film industry is profoundly sexist, misogynistic, unequal. Very few women get chances to be directors or producers or writers. There is a huge gender imbalance within the industry. And that that imbalance becomes even more stark when you're talking about women of color and people of color in general. So there's a lot of inequality within this industry. And this industry has um, a lot of power because they produce things. They produce films and, and imagery that millions upon millions of people consume and see. So they have this immense power to shape how we see one another, how we see other people. They decide whose voices are heard, whose stories matter, how a story should be told, um, and who gets to tell their story, who gets to be heard, who gets to be seen, who gets to be valued, right? So this is a very important industry with an immense amount of power in our lives and that shapes us in profound ways from the time we are children consuming Disney films to the time we become adults and we keep watching films or we keep watching TV shows. To say that Hollywood doesn't matter or the film industry doesn't matter is ridiculous. It absolutely matters because representation matters whose stories get told, who gets represented, who gets seen, that matters. And for a long time, the only people who have mattered and had power were straight white men, for the most part. And and um, that's a problem, for sure. So I want to start with The Keepers, which was um, a television series that Netflix produced. And it's on Netflix. It's seven episodes, came out in 2017, directed by Ryan White. This show was a bombshell. This show was like, I was so obsessed with it. Me and my mom watched it together. And I think I watched all the episodes over like a weekend or something. Like I could not stop. I was so obsessed with it because it absolutely just pulls you in. And it's about a nun. Her name was Sister Kathy Sesnick. And she was murdered. And it's about how her students... Um, she was a teacher at a Catholic school in Baltimore. She was killed in 1969. Um, 
and it's about how former students, people who knew her, all these decades later, start sort of this group, and they start doing sort of their own investigations because the Baltimore police weren't really doing too much, and they start to try to find justice for Sister Kathy, and it comes to light that she found out about sexual abuse that was happening at this school and the abuse was being perpetrated by a priest named Joseph Maskell and he was sexually abusing many of the girls at the school and Kathy found out about it um, a lot of people think that she was perhaps going to go to the authorities or go wherever you know um, to try to stop the abuse and that he was probably threatened by that and that he possibly had her killed and um, well one of the women in the series says that he that Joseph Maskell took her to Kathy's body and um, her name is Jane and she's a very central person in all of this she suffered abuse at the hands of Maskell and then she was taken to sister Kathy's body she says and so the inference of course is that Maskell had sister Kathy murdered because she was going to reveal his secret and and possibly ruin his life um, so this is such a powerful series and what it gripped me and it engrossed me from the beginning because it centered women in the way that it talked about this story so it centered the the victims stories and it allowed them to tell their story this was a series about women about women carrying on the legacy of sister Kathy about women fighting for justice for sister Kathy um, women standing up to the Catholic Church where we know huge amounts of sexual abuse were happening for decades and people at high positions of power in the Catholic Church knew about it and they were um, moving priests around to different parishes and different places um, Spotlight the a film that came out a few years ago and won the Academy Award for best picture talks more about this it's about the Boston Globe and the story that they ran I think in the early 2000s about this scandal the sexual scandal in the Catholic Church of all these priests um, molesting children and how it was covered up how the victims weren't believed um, and, and all of that but spotlight is focused on the investigation it focuses on the journalists it is heavily focused on the journalists to the point where for me it's a bit of a myopic film in that way where it only focuses on this investigation and I found it a bit I found it lacking a certain level of of humanity to it and it didn't for me I'm not saying it's a bad film but for me it did not widen its scope enough it did not focus enough on the victims at all hardly and it certainly didn't focus on the community itself of Boston and, and different places and about how these allegations and how this sexual abuse impacted the communities in which they happened it was exclusively focused on these reporters 
covering the story, putting the story together, which is fine. You know, that is its focus, but I think other things were sacrificed. Other things were left out. And so for me, the keepers is much more important. The keepers is much more compelling, much more complex because it's about the victims. It's about them telling their stories. And the, and the stories these women tell are just harrowing and horrific about horrific sexual violence, at the, not just at the hands of Father Maskell, but at the hands of other men in the community, including men in high positions of power. We're talking firefighters, we're talking policemen, we're talking doctors, we're talking reputable, highly respected men in the community of Baltimore were coming to Maskell's office and sexually abusing young girls and raping young girls. So where do these girls go when all the men in power are also abusing them? And it showed the systemic problem of violence against women and sexual violence that it's not just bad apples. It's not just a few bad apples. This misogyny is built into our society. It is built into the way that men look at women and treat women. So these girls at the time that they were being sexually abused had no one to go to. No one to go to. And it's heartbreaking. And to, to And it reminded me of a show. I'm not saying this was a good show by any means. But I think there was this show on NBC a few, many, many years ago. I don't know how long ago it was, though. Um, maybe the early 2000s or the middle 2000s. And it was called To Catch a Predator. It was hosted by Chris Hansen. And it was like this spectacle show, really. Because it was about um, these police officers who were in chat rooms on the internet would pretend to be children. They would pretend to be teenage girls or whatever. And then Chris Hansen and his crew would set up hidden cameras at a house. Of course, they would give the, you know, in the chat room, they would give the predator the, um, the address of that house. And the man would show up and, um, thinking that he was going to be with a teenage girl or it might have been teenage boys too um and it was such a disturbing show sometimes these men would show up naked sometimes they would come with um various paraphernalia you know for the things that they wanted to do to these children sexually and of course they would be outed you know and chris hansen would walk out and say you know um <laughs> hey, you know, you're on camera and things like that. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I want to talk about is that the, the men on this show, To Catch a Predator, were often men that you would not expect. They were doctors. They were lawyers. Some of them were very upstanding members of their community. And here they were on a chat room trying to have sex with a teenage, a teenager or a child. That's what was disturbing, I think, to a lot of people about the show, was that people that were respected in the community were the predators. And I think that was something that occurred to me as I was watching this, that 
these young girls were not just being abused by um by Maskell they were being abused by all kinds of men in their community men in positions of power men in positions that should have been protecting people and instead they were harming young girls <clears throat> and so it showed the systemic level of all of this that these are not a few bad apples this is a community of men doing this this is men from all levels of society this is a sickness this is a poison in our culture that devalues women that degrades women that um, objectifies and dehumanizes women and that then violates and harms women and and so I thought that was a really important aspect of this show and it, it exposed patriarchy it exposed how it wasn't just one bad man father Maskell it indicted the entire community it indicted our society American society because sexual violence against women is quite common and it's quite and it's a huge problem which we have seen with the Me Too campaign that is what shocked so many people was the the volume I think millions of tweets were sent out about it and more and more stories have been coming forward and that is what has shocked people is how much it's happening that people may have thought this was something that happened every once in a while you know this this was not something going on all the time and then they find out wow this is constant this is woman after woman after woman going through these experiences these are these are not isolated events these this is part of women's everyday reality and often the people who have been shocked by me the me too campaign are men because it's not really part of men's reality you know a lot of women on a daily basis have to think about what they're wearing um, they have to think about um, they have to fear interactions with men men telling them to smile men catcalling them and how the way that they react to those men could quickly turn dangerous um, they have to think about if they're alone by themselves at night do they have mace do they have things like that to protect themselves every interaction with a man can be fraught with possibilities of violence um, possibilities of aggression and tension if you do not react to those men in the right way violence is always a possibility for women it is something that is built into our lives that's a man could harm us a man could hurt us and um, men don't have to live with that in the same way they don't have to live with that fear of sexual violence or that fear that they will upset a man and that man will enact retribution against them or, or turn violent against them so that is part of women's experience as well as ongoing constant sexual harassment you know especially in the workplace that's what's become very clear is that in workplaces women do not feel safe and women are being harmed and abused
And that's what the Me Too campaign in part has really brought to the surface. There's also been a really big scandal in USA Gymnastics where a lot of young girls in USA Gymnastics were being sexually abused by a doctor. So we've got all kinds of discussions going on right now about sexual violence. And the Keepers um, did a really powerful job of exposing patriarchy, of exposing misogyny, of exposing um, the way men used and abused their power over these young girls and how it had, has taken these women decades to break the silence, um, to tell their story, and the documentary is part of that. It is part of them telling their story and um, of saying, this happened to me, and Sister Kathy may have died because of this, because a girl went to her and told her what was going on, and she wanted to help us. She wanted to save us, and she may have died for it. We don't know. The thing about this series is that it is unresolved. We don't know who killed Kathy. We may never know who killed Kathy. There are a few suspects that are um, offered to us who may have done it. I found, I found that episode to be kind of strange, I will be honest. Um, I didn't know what to believe, you know. We, we really don't know who did it. We really don't know who killed her. And I'm not sure what justice will look like for this case because whoever did it is probably dead by now or we just may never know. And so it didn't, it didn't have like a nice bow um, at the ending where everything is tied up. It's, it remains unresolved. It remains messy. It remains... Um, it's, we don't know what's going to happen, but maybe that's not the point of it. The point of the show for me was to tell these women's stories and to let the women tell their stories and what happened to them. And, and in the telling, I think something was liberated, that it was important that these women find a voice and be given a voice and because the Catholic Church is not going to do anything. <laughs> the Catholic Church doesn't care. Um, so the documentary is really their way of having a voice, their way of having an outlet um, and a way of keeping Kathy's memory alive, of letting more people know who this woman was and what she did and how important she was and how much she cared about her students. She taught English and drama at this Baltimore Catholic school. She cared about her students. Her students loved and adored her. That's why decades later, they are still fighting for justice for her. And they refuse to let the Catholic Church sweep this under the rug or pretend like it didn't happen. And I think these women are incredibly brave for what they've been doing and for doing the documentary. And I think all of this material was handled in a really sensitive way. It's a well-made documentary series. You know, true crime, it can sort of get a bad name, a bad reputation, and some of true crime is really not that great. You know, at its worst, true crime can be very exploitative. It can really turn things into a spectacle. 
and it can exploit that it can be sensationalized and very salacious and it can um, just be distasteful in that way right but some of the best true crime can look at power and it can look at injustice whether it's gendered or racial or any kind of oppression and injustice that happens because in crime I mean why I'm drawn to stories about crime and true crime because I actually watch a lot of stuff about true crime um, I think why I'm drawn to it is that it it looks at institutions of power at times you know it looks at the police or it looks at the Catholic Church or it can look at communities you know so sometimes it can be a vehicle for looking at power dynamics at abuse of power at um, at things like that and I, I think it can be when it's really good true crime can um, these true crime stories can expose injustice and it can expose um, certain types of violence especially violence against women and so I think it, I think it has its use in that way so I definitely recommend the keepers obviously so I want to go on to the second show um, Big Little Lies which aired on HBO in 2017 from the beginning when me and my mom saw this um, advertised we were really intrigued um, it has a crime element to it and um, it was written by David E. Kelly who's a pretty famous um, television writer and it was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée who is um, as, tends to be a film director really and the quality of the series is high I would say I think it's very well written well directed well acted um, and it has a cinematic feel to it it's it has seven episodes um, it's actually based on a book uh, by the same name by Leanne Moriarty and this this series has gotten a ton of attention and I was an early fan of it from the beginning from episode one or two I was tweeting about it and I was telling people this is an important series about violence against women about domestic violence um, I felt like it was looking at trauma and violence and I thought it was doing it in a really important interesting sensitive meaningful way it stars Nicole Kidman Reese Witherspoon Shailene Woodley Laura Dern Zoe Kravitz Kravitz Alexander Skarsgård it has a stellar A-list cast and I think some of them do some of their best work and Nicole Kidman in particular has been spotlighted and there will be spoilers when I'm talking about the rest of the shows um, in this episode I, I may go into plot points that you don't want to hear um, so I just want to let you know that I should have said it at the beginning of the episode Nicole Kidman in particular has been spotlighted she's won awards for it and a lot of people have said it's sort of um, maybe reactivated her career because I would say in the last few years I don't know if she's really gotten the best material or been doing the best films 
I think she is a great actress, and I, I love her. She's certainly one of my favorite actresses. Um, my favorite film of hers is a film that doesn't get a lot of attention. It's one of my favorite films. Um, it's called Birth, and it was directed by Jonathan Glazer. It's a very haunting film about grief, and um, I love that film so much. I'd love to do an episode eventually, but that is my favorite Nicole Kidman performance. And um, it's about these women, these very wealthy, wealthy, rich women who live in Monterey, California. And Nicole Kidman plays a woman named Celeste. She's married to Alexander Skarsgård, who is his, he plays Perry. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is Madeline. Shailene Woodley is Jane Chapman. She has a son named Ziggy. Laura Dern has a daughter named Anna, Amabella, and she plays Renata. So there's, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot going on. Um, I would say the crux of the series for me is three of the plot lines. One is Nicole Kidman's marriage, which is domestic violence. She is being beaten and abused by her husband, and she has two sons with him. And she stays in the marriage, first of all, because she's kind of in denial that it is an abusive relationship. They end up going to couples counseling over the course of the series. But she also stays with him because of her children. And she thinks that that is what is right. That they should have both of their parents. And I thought this show did an, a tremendous job of showing the complexities of domestic violence. That in so many ways in our culture, the way we talk about domestic violence is always very accusatory towards the woman. You know, why doesn't she leave? Why does she put up with it? We are never really looking at the man in the situation or looking at our society. And it, I, we're not looking at a society that creates men that abuse women, right? We're always blaming women. You know, we're, we blame women when they're raped. We blame women when they're abused by their husbands or their boyfriends. We blame women over and over and over again because we are a misogynistic society. We are a patriarchal society that devalues and abuses women and then blames them for their own abuse and, and the violence that's committed against them. But this show did such an amazing job of showing how complicated these domestic things are that when you have children it's harder to leave there is also a way that women are socialized in our culture and I'm part of that too where we are socialized to be polite we are socialized to put other people above ourselves we're socialized to forgive to give lots of chances we're socialized to placate men you know if they tell us to smile we're supposed to smile we're supposed to be polite and quiet and and pliable and subservient and obedient that is how we are socialized as women and girls um, we're socialized to not be loud to not make a ruckus to not um, fight back to not uh, be difficult because then we'll be called bitches and then we'll be called this and that 
we literally cannot win no matter what we do um either way we will be blamed um that's that's what women find themselves in is that they cannot win no matter what they do they will always be blamed and um they are often blamed for domestic violence why did you leave why didn't you leave why did you stay on and on and on and um nicole kidman wants to give him chances you know when it's good it's good but when it's bad it's really bad she's trying to keep the family together she's trying to stay alive you know this is a man who could kill her um that's also part of it i mean women are usually at the most risk for death when they are leaving their partners um that is when the the worst violence tends to happen and um so it's very it's frightening to leave and it's dangerous to leave Another aspect, um, another plot point that I think is really important is Shailene Woodley's character. She um, she has moved to Monterey because she was raped and she had a child. Her, her child's name is Ziggy. He's about five or six. And she kind of wants a new start in a way and she wants, um, I think she's trying to escape it a bit but she's still very scared and she was raped and she and Ziggy was a product of that rape and she doesn't know who raped her she doesn't know his name or who he was and um she is scared she buys a gun for her own protection she is angry she feels an immense amount of anger and and a need for revenge she wants to kill the man that did this to her and um so again i thought the series showed something they showed rape in a complex way they showed you know the anger the fear the you know all the emotions that a woman deals with after that kind of violence because what shailene is really dealing with is trauma She's trying to process this trauma. She's trying to live with this trauma. And she's struggling. And plus she's trying to raise her son. And I just, I thought the show just, Shailene Woodley was really amazing in this series. I mean, everybody talks about Nicole Kidman and Nicole was great, but I thought Shailene was also really powerful in her role as a rape victim. And, um, and the last plot point that I thought was really important is Ziggy's interaction with Renata's daughter, Amabella. Because Amabella is being hit at school. She's being hurt. And she says that Ziggy did it. But Shailene Woodley obviously does not want to believe that her son is hurting Amabella. And Renata is up in arms. She's so upset. And she she wants to protect her child she wants to protect her daughter from whoever is hurting her daughter and um so there's a lot of tension and aggression that develops because of that between laura dern who plays renata and shailene woodley's character because they both have children they're trying to protect and um 
for me, this plot point was really important because it showed how violence against women starts very early. That from an early age, young girls have to deal with the violence of little boys, whether it's a boy hitting them or however, you know, boys treat little girls, you know, often it's in an aggressive way. It can be aggressive and it can turn violent. And, um, and so the way that Amabella is treated is very disturbing. And of course, at the end, we find out that it's not Ziggy. It is Nicole Kidman's sons who, um, who are, it's one of Nicole Kidman's sons who is abusing Amabella. And so that is when Nicole finally realizes that she's got to get out of this relationship, that it's not helping her children for her to stay, that in fact it is harming them even more because they are imitating their father. And so again, we see masculinity and toxic masculinity in particular on display here. We see how little boys learn from their fathers, how they mimic the behavior of their fathers, especially when it comes to masculinity and what it means to be a man and how you treat women. And if they see their father engaging in that kind of behavior, but they don't just learn it from their father. They learn it from their culture. They learn it from films and TV shows. They learn it from other boys that they interact with and their peers. It's complex. You know, it's complex. These messages that boys get sent that it's okay to treat women this way. But again, just like the keepers, Big Little Lies is indicting our culture. It's indicting this whole society that we live in that teaches young boys and, and shows young boys that it's okay to hurt women and to abuse women. And um, that's a really important part of that show to me. Just took a sip of drink. So I, I couldn't name a lot of shows like this. We don't, I did an episode as some of you may know. I did an episode about made-for-TV movies from the 1990s on the Lifetime Network, pretty much. And I talked about how the Lifetime Network got this bad reputation for only showing films in which women were abused or violated, that women were always the victims in these films. They were often in domestic abuse relationships where men were beating them or they were raped by men and then you know um, having to deal with that but in my episode I, I was trying to make an argument for the value of these movies that at least especially in the 1990s at least these shows were spotlighting violence against women I remember the Lifetime Network used to have some kind of campaign I think where they talked about violence against women or, or something like that um, and so I, I argued that at least it was visible in some way. At least it was part of the discussion. At least women could turn on the television and see some of their experiences reflected. That the violence they encountered with men at times, and not all women encounter violence, 
I have not been sexually abused. I have not been domestically abused. I had a wonderful father. You know, I, I've never been hurt in that way by men um, at all. So I'm not speaking from personal experience. But just because it hasn't happened to me doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to a lot of other women. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't care about what happens to other women. I know that a lot of women do have to deal with this stuff. They do have to deal with men um, being violent towards them or threatening to sexually violate them. I don't need to personally experience that to know that it's real and to know that it matters. And so those movies from the 1990s, yes, did they show women as victims? They did. But they also showed women fighting back and resisting. When they were raped, it showed them going after their rapist. When they were domestically abused, it showed them going after their husbands, trying to get justice, trying to get the police to protect them from these men. Or if I saw, I saw several films where the woman was murdered by her husband and it, the film was about her family getting justice for her. There were several films about that. And there were several films about um, women who got raped and then they fought to bring the rapist to justice. And so were these women shown as victims? Yes, but they were also shown as agents. They were also shown as women with power who were fighting back, who were trying to get justice, were trying to um, change things, right? So these films do have a value to them. And when I made that episode, I wondered, you know, nowadays, we don't see a lot of films about violence, we don't, about domestic violence, about sexual violence. I couldn't name any shows at that time. I did the episode, I think, early in, in 2017. I just couldn't name a lot of TV shows or films that really talked about it. But these shows came out this year, and I was really glad for that, that, that The Keepers is talking about it and that Big Little Lies was talking about this violence. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be exposed. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be in the public discussion. How else will it change if we just pretend like it's not happening? If we just pretend like women are not being harmed in our culture? Does there need to be balance? I mean, I wouldn't say that every single representation of a woman needs to be about her victim her being victimized or her being hurt I mean, I would never say that uh, there are other facets to women's lives um, but this is part of what women experience uh, all women and when I say women I mean trans women too that they have to deal with violence against men with toxic masculinity with their lives being devalued under a patriarchal culture. These are important subjects, absolutely important. And so that's why I thought these shows were important. The last show I'm going to talk about is Broad Church. Season three, it's the final, um, the final uh, season. I'm going to take another sip of drink. I love Broadchurch. 
but I'm a huge fan of it. Me and my mom love the show. We like British detective shows in general. Um, we watch a lot of them. So that's why we originally watched Brawl Church. I loved season one. The backdrop for Brawl Church is that in season one, um, it really explored the Latimer family um, and how they had to deal with the murder of their 11-year-old son who was named Danny. So it, that was the first season. It was about the Latimer family and the detectives who looked into Danny's murder were Detective Inspector Alec Hardy, played, like, played by David Tennant, and then Detective Sergeant Ellie Miller, played by Olivia Coleman. And it was about how the family struggled to deal with the grief of their son being murdered. And Broadchurch takes place, um, Broadchurch is a fictional town, um, and it's set in Dorset, England. It's sort of set on the coast of England. It's a beautiful location, but that beauty belies darker elements in the town that no matter how beautiful a town might be, there are people in it who do bad things. There is violence. There, there is um, darkness in every community, no matter where you live. Um, it takes place in England. So, second season I didn't like as much. The third season is the last season, and it came out this year, 2017. It was It's on Netflix, and my mom and I watched it, and it was amazing that it was made. I mean, it had to be filmed last year, and then it was released early 2017. It was amazing how relevant it felt to what was happening with Harvey Weinstein because I didn't watch it till it didn't come out here until late in 2017 and the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the Me Too had already happened and I just could not believe how relevant this series was to it so there's really two aspects to the third series the first is the rape of a local woman in Broadchurch her name is Trish Winter Winterman and the second element of it is the Latimer family, that we're still following their journal journey and their difficulty in, especially the father, Mark Latimer, to deal with the grief of Danny's death. Because, again, these are spoilers, I have to, I have to do it, um, because the man that killed Danny was found not guilty in a court of law, Joe Miller. And Joe Miller was Ellie Miller's husband. So Detective Sergeant Ellie Miller, played by Olivia Coleman, it was her husband who killed Danny. And of course, they're no longer together. And Ellie is a single mom raising her son. Or she may have two sons, but she has at least one son who's a teenager. And she's raising him on her own. Um... So the family, so Mark especially is trying to deal with the fact that Joe Miller is free and living his life while Danny's dead and while he is grief stricken. Um, Beth Latimer has become an advocate for victims of sexual violence and she actually becomes sort of a counselor or an advocate for Trish who was raped at a party. But the crux of the series is the rape of Trish. And 
their investigation, them trying to find out who exactly did rape her. She was at a party that was being held by her friend Kath. It was like a birthday party. And several of the men in Trisha's life become suspects. She has an ex-husband named Ian. She has a boss named Ed Burnett, who has sort of been kind of obsessed with her a little bit. He takes a lot of photos of her. Um, Ian, her ex-husband, put spyware on her computer. Kath's husband even comes under suspicion. His name's Jim, and he's like a mechanic or something. And um, it turns out him and Trish had, had had consensual sex the day of the party and, and all of that. So um, various men in Trish's life become suspects, but also men in the community come under, under um, suspicion. Um, from a cab driver to all kinds of different men that are in this community. And so again, this show for me um, spotlights violence against women and it spotlights um, rape victims and what they have to do. Um, one of the most difficult things to watch was when Trish went to the police and what she had to go through for them to collect the evidence it was just heartbreaking the way that um you know they have to take their clothes they have to undergo an examination it's it's all just so sterile you know it's you know after you've been raped i would imagine that's not what you want to go do you don't want to be prodded and touched and and things like that by people that you don't know um so it was really heartbreaking to see what happens. But over the course of it, she also, there is this fear. Um, she does come forward. She goes to the police. They do the rape kit. They do all of that. But over the course of the investigation, they find out that other women were raped in a similar way. And they only come forward after they hear about Trish. Their rapes happened years a few years before or a few months before Trisha's and these women did not go to the police and so there is on the part of the police obviously there is a bit of judgment for those women that why did you not go to the police why did you wait and and the series shows you the fear that these women feel will they be believed by the police will they be treated with respect by the police and um i was struck by the difference in policing in the uk and in the united states because um detective inspector alec hardy he emphasizes and ellie miller does too his his um his partner both of them emphasize that they start from the premise of believing the woman and as they investigate, if they find evidence that contradicts that, then they will look into it. But from the outset, they investigate the case, believing the victim first. And I feel like here in the United States, that is not what happens. Um, not at all. Um, there are so many stories of women going to the police and being judged and being dismissed and um it's 
so damaging to those women um there there does not seem to be this consensus here in the united states that you start from believing the woman that is why for so long women have not come forward they've not come forward about sexual assault or rape and they've not come forward about sexual harassment because they didn't think that they would be believed they thought that they would and and the pain of not being believed the pain of being dismissed should not be um, overlooked that is very painful for a woman to come forward forward with her allegations and then to not be believed that is a second trauma to her that is very stressful and and taxing on her mind and her body and so in this series we see why those women didn't come forward some of them have been drinking you know some of them were worried that they would be judged that they would be blamed and that is the fear that women here in the united states as well live with that if they go to the police they are going to be put under the microscope they are going to be accused and blamed for their own rapes for their own um, violation and it, it deters women from coming forward and um and then of course women are blamed for not coming forward so it's like if, if they go and tell the police and they're dismissed and they have to go through the pain of that and then if they don't come forward then they're blamed if if more women are hurt because they find out that Broadchurch is a serial rapist that Trish was not the only victim that these other women were also uh, victimized by him but you totally understand why women don't come forward that's why everybody's like that's why I, I hate when people are like with the me too campaign they're saying oh well why are they all coming forward now why didn't they come forward before it's like these people just don't even get it they don't even get what women have to deal with and even now we still see people um trying to say that oh women just want attention or they want their 15 minutes of fame or i mean it's just absurd it is absurd what people say about women when they come forward with allegations of, of like this um the victim blaming that happens and the the um the attempt to discredit these women and to attack these women you know it's it's so that's why it's so hard for women to come forward you've already gone through this traumatic experience and then you have to deal with this next and some women may never come forward and that's okay too you know there is this focus right now on breaking the silence and people speaking up but i think we need to remember but that there are women who do not want to talk publicly about their sexual assault that is not an easy thing to talk about even if i had had a personal experience with sexual assault I don't know if I would come forward and talk about it to anybody or even on this podcast you know it's it should be up to each individual woman what she wants to do you know <laughs> not everybody wants to talk about that in public it's profoundly painful and traumatic and sometimes I think we can put a lot of emphasis on speaking 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 you know confessing everything that you every traumatic painful thing you've been through am I open about my pain absolutely I talk about grief I talk about loss all the time um, 
that I realize that for some people, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to mention it. It's just not something that they want to go into. And I think you need to respect that too. That there are women who cannot come forward or don't want to come forward. And that should be um, that should be respected too. You know, I sometimes worry that when we when we say things like, oh, you're so brave for speaking out, I worry that we're sending some kind of message to women that don't speak out, that we're saying that they're not brave. If you have survived sexual violence of any kind, you are brave, you know. <laughs> you deserve respect and love and support, you know, whether you are ready to talk about it, whether you will never talk about it. You know, it, that that is every woman's own choice. Something that really struck me about this show that was similar to The Keepers for me, as I said with The Keepers, we really see the indictment of an, of an entire community and of an entire society. How men in positions of power abused women and they were throughout the community, right? I think you saw something a bit similar with Brawl Church in the suspects for Trisha's rape, that these were men in her life that she trusted, and that even they were, I don't know what the word is, even they were engaging in misogynistic things, and in disturbing behavior that really objectified her and took away her agency and these were men that she trusted I'm thinking of her husband Ian who put spyware on her computer to watch what she was doing um, and and what she was doing on her computer or I think about her boss Ed Burnett who was basically stalking her he was taking tons of photos of her following her around um, all kinds of things like that we also see it in Ellie Miller, um, Detective Sergeant Ellie Miller. We see it in her trying to raise her son, who's a teenager, and his obsession with porn and pornography. Um, she has to take his phone away at one time because he's got pornography on it that he shares with his friend. Um, in a lot of the, um, like the private spaces of the men who are interviewed by the police um, the men like say it's their garage or or just places like that there are pictures of like half-naked women up on the walls and um, so there is this ongoing even men that seem decent even men that seem nice even men that seem like they're trustworthy they still have these pictures of women. They still have this dehumanization that's going on, that this objectification of women, this reducing us to our bodies. And it made me think um, personally about, can you ever really trust a man? Um, I think a lot about this sometimes. <sighs> I don't know how to put this into words. Men can come off a certain way to women. You know, when they're around their, the women in their lives, they are a certain way. And then when they are around men, there is something else that takes place. There are conversations 
that they would never have in front of women and those conversations are about women I'm thinking specifically of of President Trump and the Access Hollywood tape that was released of him talking about women in really horrific ways and about Billy Bush standing or sitting beside him in that bus when Trump was saying things like oh yeah you can grab him by the pussy you can do whatever you want to women and Billy Bush laughing at it Billy Bush egging it on Billy Bush and yes he is not in a position of power at that time at that time he's a worker at Access Hollywood who needs to maintain his access to stars and celebrities like Donald Trump and Donald Trump is not president yet Donald this is years ago when he's just a reality star on The Apprentice but it but remember the way that Trump justified it he said oh that's just locker room talk and of course we had lots of men come out and say oh well I don't talk about women that way that's not what we talk about in our locker room of course this is you know this is just like what Matt Damon said recently oh not all men abuse women not all men sexually harass women um, please stop Matt Damon <laughs> please stop talking for the love of God um it is that same um it's this argument that men use to absolve themselves to say well oh, I don't talk about women that way the men I know don't talk about women that way is that really true though you know if you have half-naked pictures of women if you consume media or things that objectify and dehumanize women can you really say that do you really value women? Do you really value our voices? Do you really value what we have to say? How do you talk about us when we're not in the room? What do you say about our bodies? What do you say about us? How do you talk about women when women are not around? What do you and your friends talk about? I think every man needs to look at himself you may not be Harvey Weinstein and you may not be Donald Trump and you may not be Bill Cosby but think about the ways in which you hurt women the ways in which you dismiss women the ways in which you silence women you may not think that you are part of the problem you may not think you're a bad guy but how do you make women feel unsafe I think every man needs to take a long hard look at himself and the way he treats the women in his life or the women he engages with on a regular basis like people have said you may not be one of those bad guys but what are you doing I saw something recently saying how men um, men should the women you work with tell those women what you make because part of the problem with um, the pay gap is that women don't know what the men they work with are making let let somebody um, let a woman know what you make how much money you're making that's something that you could do what are you actively doing to help women or to make the world a, a safer place for women I think that's an important question to ask and this show for me made me think about the men in my life and it made me think about how I felt treated by men my whole life like I said I've not been sexually violated I've not been hurt I mean 
there was a moment. Um, I, I didn't know. I've shared this in other places, but when I was very young, probably 10, me and my best friend at the time, and she was older than me. She was 15. She was a teenager. She was quite a few years older than me. We went to this um, to this house that was in the process of being built at the end of the road in our neighborhood. And so it was basically empty because it was in the process of being built. But it was still, it had, the sh it had the frame and all of that. It was basically almost finished. And it was a snowy day, actually. It was in winter. And we went with these two guys who were both teenagers. So they were her age, basically. They were about 14, 15, 16. And I was like 9 or 10. And we went into the house and I think back on it now and I'm like what did I think was gonna happen like what were we doing I still don't know and so she goes off with one of the guys and then the other guy and I are together in one of the rooms or something and he embraces me he puts his arms around me so tight it was so tight I could barely breathe I still remember it like it took the breath out of me he was his grip was so powerful um, I felt incredibly vulnerable and afraid in that moment I think and confused and um, I just couldn't breathe it was so intense and that's all I remember um, because the person that was building the house or the owner of the house they suddenly showed up and so we ran um, we heard I think we heard the car and stuff like that and so I just remember running through the woods I remember the snow on the ground and the snowflakes falling down and at the time it was a little bit scary it was scary because I was worried we were gonna be found by this man in his house that we shouldn't have been in and it was scary because I didn't understand why this boy you know had put his arms around me that way and I often think about and since the Harvey Weinstein thing has happened I've thought about what what could have happened if that man had not come home what could have happened next after that embrace where could it have gone in what ways could my life have been forever altered? Would I have been raped? Would I have been violated in some way? What? How would that have impacted my life? How would that have changed me? What course would my life had what uh, had take? What course would my life have taken if something like that terrible had happened to me and to my body? How would I have coped with it? Um, these are things that I think about now and I think about I could have easily been any of the women who have come forward about their own s sexual violation and harassment that could have easily been me um, and in a way it does haunt me that that could have happened and I think for many women even even if you've not been hurt I think you're haunted by the possibility of it I think you're haunted by the fear of it and I think a lot of your life sometimes is controlled by it
is controlled by limiting that possibility. And as I say, it didn't happen. You know, I was not hurt. I was not violated. But I could have easily been hurt. And so many women are hurt and are vulnerable to being hurt. And even if you're not sexually harmed, there are other ways when you're a girl and as you're growing up and as you're in the world, there are other ways that that you feel small and you feel silenced and you feel dismissed the way that men can treat you. And looking back, I certainly see those instances in my own life of the way that certain men in my family and certain men at school and boys and the ways that they treated me and the ways that they made me feel about myself. And that did shape me in many ways. Now, my father never made me feel less than. He never made me feel that way. But other men and boys did. And I think it's part of what made me a feminist, that I was pissed. <laughs> I was pissed at the way men were so dismissive of women's voices and women's contributions. And I, I could sense and I could feel and I could see and I could experience the devaluation of women's lives and the silencing of women's voices. And it made me mad and angry and it hurt me. And I saw the way that women were treated. And it certainly made me a feminist. Certainly. And, um... So, this show... show What I'm trying to say is that I'm always on my guard with men. And I don't think that I ever fully trust men. Because of my own certain experiences with them. And... And a show like this shows you why women feel that way about men. Is how do you speak about us when we're not in the room? Do you value us? Do you see us as human? Do you see us as other people who are equal to you? Who, are, who have our own opinions and thoughts and inner life? Our own humanity. Our own... Um, we are full beings. We are real people. We're not a stereotype. We're not a caricature. We're not, um, we're not these one-dimensional like things. We're not objects. We're people with thoughts and emotions and feelings. And <laughs> that's what makes me so mad about the way women are treated. Is that we are treated like we are not human you know and and of course when you add race to it it's even worse the way black women are treated um the way women of color are treated because people have rightfully pointed out that the me too campaign and the discussion about sexual harassment and sexual abuse has largely been dominated by white women that is a rightful critique and it's an important critique, absolutely. Although Lapita Nyong'o and Selma Hayek have come forward, and they are women of color, um, it is still dominated by white women. And so that is something that we also need to talk about, that the dehumanization, the objectification, is very particular with women of color as well. 
and what they go through and the way their lives are affected, not just by sexism, but also by racism. I read a really powerful article recently on NPR about the high rates of more of maternal mortality for black women, African American women in the United States, how it is much, much higher than it is for white women, that much more black women are dying due to complications from having children. And it is because even when they control for factors of class, so we're talking about even black women with more money, um, with who are richer, wealthier, they still have these outcomes. So this is racism. It's and it's systematic. It is part of the medical system itself that black women are not treated the same or valued the same as white women when they go to the doctor. Something so basic. When they are pregnant, when they're trying to have a child, they're not listened to, their pain is not taken seriously, they are not treated the same as white women. Um, and it's just a devastating article that shows us how deep racism is, how destructive it is, and, um, and it talks about the stress that black women face. Um, just in that racism itself creates a stress that when you're out trying to navigate the world it is harder because of racism because of your interactions with different people or people in power like police officers and there is a there is a certain level of stress that people of color have to go through and it affects their bodies it affects their health and then when they try to get help for their health issues, they encounter racism within the health and within within the health system. So it's just one thing after another, and it is deadly. It is fatal, and it's destructive. And um, we have got to talk more about this. We've got to talk more about um, how sexual violence intersects with the lives of Black women, women of color. Um, me too. It will not be liberating if it does not include women of color. You know, one's feminism must center the most vulnerable in our society. And that means women of color. That means the poor. That means trans women. Um, if your feminism centers white wealthy women, it's, it's not enough. It's just not enough. You have to center the people who are most vulnerable to violence in our society and work for liberation for all women. Um, so in this Me Too, in these discussions of women of color, in these discussions of sexual violence, we have got to also talk about what women of color face. And none of these shows that I'm talking about focus on women of color, obviously. They focus on white women. That doesn't make them any you know, it doesn't mean that they're not valuable, doesn't mean they're not important, but the the racial dimension is missing. But these are just three shows that I watched this year and that I wanted to put together for an episode. Um, I took a little tangent there, but I just, I think it's very important that we talk about what women, in color, women of color also face 
and that we can't talk about sexual violence without talking about race too that gender and race and class and that's something that also gets lost a little bit is class that a lot of the time women who are sexually harassed especially the men are in positions of power over the women and the women put up with the harassment or they um, they don't go to anyone about it because they need their job because they're trying to survive they're trying to put food on the table they're trying to pay their bills and they can't afford to lose this job and even in the film industry a lot of the actresses who were preyed on were early in their careers but and and they were unknowns they didn't have a lot of power um, because they were not established lastly with broad church i would like to talk a moment about how it looks at grief because as i said the latimer family they lost their 11 year old son danny in the first season and i love how this show sticks with the latimer family i love how it so many times in these true crime shows we we don't know much about the family that is um traumatized by the murder of of someone they love this show goes deeper into it it shows us the family it shows their struggle with grief um and i think that's really important um Beth Latimer is able to take her grief and really channel it into something. She becomes a sexual, um, victims of sexual violence advocate. She works with Trish, who is the woman who was raped in season three. Doesn't mean she doesn't still hurt and she's not still grieving and struggling, but she is able to use it in some way. She is able to keep going. Whereas Mark Latimer, is struggling much more than she is um he is obsessed with joe miller he can't let go of joe miller and the fact that he's out that he um, was not found guilty and was not put in prison um he just is shattered he is very broken by the death of danny he has a lot of memories him and beth separate he's not even able to be at the house really because of the memories that are conjured by that space um, and he tries to kill himself he tries to commit suicide he um, he gets in the water and he just sort of floats and but he's eventually found before he dies um, so that's how bad it is for Mark and I, I give a lot of credit to the show for representing grief in a really complicated messy way that mark is really struggling and it's okay that he's struggling although beth has a lot of resentment about it because she says you know he is falling apart which means that i can't fall apart you know he's able you know he can't he's struggling but you know they still have children and she has to go on and she has to keep living and she has to take care of those kids while Mark has his breakdown, right? She feels like she has to keep it together and she can't break down. She can't be a mess because he is. And I totally understand that the strength of this show is that you understand all those perspectives. You understand what Beth is saying, but you also understand why Mark struggles so much. 
he went through a catastrophic loss of his child who was 11 years old and the person that murdered him is free mark is not able to cope with it mark is broken and shattered and he's struggling and i think that that representation of grief is also very important to show that some people can't find the silver lining some people can't overcome some people um it's hard for them and and they can't be okay again they can't be who they were before um and i think that's important to talk about and to represent you know i think especially here in the united states there's such a focus on positivity you know every day on the news i hear stories you know about people overcoming challenges and using some horrific event in their life to you know they they're able to use it i guess for good or to turn it into a foundation or or this or that and it's like some people can't do that some people are just crawling some people are just trying to survive and so that that portrait of grief of a family grieving in very different ways i think has a lot of value and i think it's an important part of the show um of course the main thing for me in the last season is the rape of trish it is showing misogyny you know and again like with the other shows this is the indictment of a community that you know that you may not be the the person who raped trish but how are you treating women and and all these men in trish's life and not just in trish's life are are do disturbing things like the spyware by her ex-husband or ed burnett sort of stalking her or um detective sergeant l.a miller's son looking at pornography um so we see how again it's not a few bad apples this is how men look at women this is how men see women this is how men treat women and yes there is a spectrum to it you know you may not be raping a woman but if you are following her and taking pictures of her you're putting spyware on her computer you are not treating her as a full human being you are not respecting her autonomy or her body or her life you get what i'm saying you are crossing lines you are hurting her um you are engaging in disturbing behavior that is sexist and that is violent towards women so again i think men need to start looking at themselves and look at how are they contributing to this society how are they treating women um i think that's important like we need to shift this conversation okay yes women are speaking out yes women are saying their experiences and men are losing their jobs but when are we going to get at the root problem which is our sexist society the way we socialize boys and men the way we represent women the way we make it okay for men to hurt and abuse women 
we're not doing nearly enough about domestic violence, domestic violence, which is a huge problem here in the United States. So there's so many systemic things that we need to work on and we need to get to the root of it, which is misogyny and sexism in our society as a whole. How are we going to change the way we socialize boys, the way we raise boys? Well, what are we going to teach them about how they should treat women? How are we going to change the representation of women? The way women are treated by the police when they go and report rape or report sexual violence. So there's so much that needs to change. When are, when are we going to, we need to fight for equality. We need to fight for the end of the oppression of all women, you know, and, um, and we need to end oppression period and oppression of all uh, different peoples. Um, that's my view of feminism. You, you can't eliminate one oppression. You have to eliminate all of all oppression, you know, um, so, so much has to change. It's so massive. It's like, what do you even do? Where do you even start, right? It's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming, this problem. And I just, I just want women to be treated like human beings. I just want violence against women to end. I want it to be eliminated. Like, I want to live in a world where... No woman and no person needs to fear being raped. It's like, when are we going to confront masculinity and toxic masculinity? When are we going to confront the way we teach men to dominate and hurt other people, not just women, but other men, other people? I mean, I just, oh. Nobody should fear being molested or, or violated or physically hurt or physically abused or verbally abused. It's like, we have got to, like, change this. And I, I don't know where you start. It's such a massive problem. Um, it's such a massive problem. But I think these three shows um, are important shows. And I think they each reveal something to us and they expose different things more than anything and what is so important for me and essential for me is the indictment of society of getting away from this idea that it's one bad individual guy that's doing this and saying no our whole society needs to look at itself it needs to look at masculinity the way men are taught to treat women and see women um, this is a problem in our culture and in our society, whether it's England or it's the United States. This is a problem that is systemic. It's not just a few bad men, right? That's, for me, the big takeaway. I think that's all I wanted to say. I have said everything I think about these shows, but I definitely recommend all of them. You know, I know I gave away some spoilers, um, but I hope that you can see these shows. I hope this was worthwhile. 
like I say, I'm not going to um, talk a lot about TV or television shows. Um, but I do watch a few and I do enjoy some. Um, so I just wanted to change it up a little bit for this episode. And instead of talking about my favorite films, which I've really already reviewed, um, I really wanted to dig into some TV shows and what they have to show us about um, sexual violence and misogyny and patriarchy and all that stuff. So all of these shows were well written, well acted, well directed. They are quality television and um, I would say there's not a lot of films exploring these issues of what women deal with and violence against women. So these TV shows actually fill a really important void whether it's about domestic violence with Big Little Lies, rape with Broad Church, and also rape and, and sexual violence on the Keepers. These are really vital, important shows. And for this year, 2017, they were very, very relevant with what's going on with Me Too, with the Me Too campaign, and this larger conversation we're having about sexual harassment and sexual abuse. So I'm going to stop there. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.